you know, integrating chat, integrating a chat GPT into a search engine is such an incredible, uh, like tool for the user of the search engine. Potentially in a way we have to see how it shakes out. Yeah. The, the potential is, is crazy, yeah. but on the flip side, it, I don't understand how it's good for anybody else. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 402 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the webs programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 10th, 20 Jubilee. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be just a talk, just a Bucket of curse, curse words. Avalanche of swears. Yeah, just a, just a lot. I was gonna say, I was gonna. No, I, I still got to give people an opportunity yeah. to, to turn. People, people do that, right? They hear, oh my gosh, there's curse words, and then they, they turn it off. I imagine a panicked away. fumbling of the volume controls, and mm-hmm. you know, smacking the next button, that sort of thing. Yeah, they cover their fragile ears. Mm-hmm. Whenever I listen to This American Life, they always go, "Warning!" Just every episode. Like warning, this is an unbeeped version of the show. If you prefer to listen to a beeped version, you can find it at, and then they give a a URL, you know. And I'm like, has any person in the history of the universe been like, oh no? And then they turn off, they turn off, and then they go search for the. That's the thing is, they actually do. There's a subset of people who do that. That's so wild. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so, you know, we're going to have unbeeped curse words in this episode. So if you want to get the beeped version, there isn't one. You'll just have to carry your own beeper. And then when it seems like we're about to say something, just hit it. Which is much of the time. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for your uh, recurring donations to help uh, keep the podcast going. All right, so there's lots of stuff to talk about and only so much time. So first off, Sam, you got some kind of a home story. So, Let's go. Yes. So uh, as, as I divulged my secrets in the past episode that my wife is near to popping this baby out, which means mm-hmm. that um, we have my mother-in-law, Wendy, living with us, helping out around the house, mainly doing cooking, uh, taking care of some stuff since Diana at this point has two wrist braces on. Because of some carpal tunnel that developed during uh, pregnancy from just so much fluid in the body. And now has a knee brace on as of today. So she's sort of like, she's becoming just immobilized over time, right? Um, so Wendy's here helping out. She's doing great. It's been very fun. And on Monday, uh, we were prepping for a play test this week, which we'll talk about later, the facts of those. But on Monday, uh, I worked until, I worked a little late. So I worked until about seven o'clock or so. And um, I hang up the final call, which was sort of the final stuff of, Every last thing we need to tune up for tomorrow such that we can hit the playtest really well. And as soon as I hit the end button on the call, a extremely loud piercing alarm starts going off in the house. It just says, mm-hmm. intruder, intruder, exit immediately. And then it just keeps on doing that. And I'm talking like ear splitting, mind shattering loudness. Okay. Now here's the thing. <laughs> Never heard of this before in my life. We've had, we've been in this house for coming on. Yeah, two that's years. quite the alarm system. <laughs> quite the alarm. Did you inherit and, your alarm system, or did you? So here it is. So we when we bought the house, we got the alarm system with the house, but it's un. It was supposed to be. It's not like we're not paying for any service. It's just sort of in there, right? It was just there. Yeah, it's just there, and it's been on the wall, just sitting there, and it sort of every so often uh, flashes. It's like, hey, I'm not connected to anything. 
sort of thing. But, you know, I've never touched it. Diane's never touched it. Never really worried about it. So I come out and I'm like, what's going on? And uh, Diana and her mom are sitting there. And Diana's looking at her mom real cross. And she's like, I knew it. She's like, I came over today around lunch. Wendy was snacking near the pantry, which is where the alarm is. So, you know, Wendy was sitting there snacking. And she was like, what does this do? It just pushed some of the buttons on the alarm system. <laughs> which apparently armed it. Okay. Uh, oh, no. Such that what happened around 7 p.m. was that Diana opened the door to yep. let Yogi out. Suddenly, it shit explodes, right? And what proceeded then is that the alarm is just going off for like 15 minutes because it goes off at like a 15-minute stretch once it goes off, right? Very loud. Meanwhile, I just grab my headphones. You know, Diana grabs her phone. And we're just Googling like, how do you disable this alarm? And all of the stuff requires... You know, believe it or not, having the access code, which we don't have because it's not our alarm system and we never even bothered asking about it because we thought it was not like functional, right? We thought it was there, mm. but not like on. So Wendy, of course, is like kind of skulking around trying to do some research too, but clearly feeling very bad about this because it's like <laughs> it's just an avalanche of sound in the house, right? And so uh, finally, after about 40 minutes of Googling, we're trying to- This thing's stuff. going off the whole time? Well, it'll be, it's going off for about 15 minutes of a stretch and then there'll be a pause and then Dinah was trying some stuff and typically we'd fire it back off again, right? Because it still says it's still, basically the alarm is still going technically, right? Even if it's not blaring uh, yeah. the loudness. And so like, oh shit. So we just keep on Googling, keep on Googling. And then finally I'm like, okay, I think, I think this, we need to go into the next stage mode, which is to quit trying to do it from the panel and yeah, like trying to figure it. out what code is. Yeah, this is, we're now in like straight up heist movie territory. Where's the box? Where's, Where's the, the power box? Source? Yeah. I thought you just shoot it. Don't you just shoot I think it? You just, shoot so it. Thing you just shoot it. But so basically what I found out is I did a bunch of, uh, I was you know, going down this rabbit hole really fast. I found this video where, and it was hilarious because all of the comments in the video, it's like the one video where the guy's like, so you shouldn't really have to ever do this. But if maybe if you bought a house, you don't know the <laughs> alarm code and then it goes off sometime or sometimes they just like go off randomly um, and you can't get it to turn off. Here's how you like disable the whole thing. And so I follow the video and then I, uh, run into the basement, find the box, which is like, you know, hidden in one of the fucking closets down there. And then uh, luckily, and this is the last piece where I was like, please God, because there's a key always. It's like yeah. a locked box that's mounted on the wall in which all the electrical stuff <laughs> is for these things, right? Including yeah. a backup battery. And so I was like, as I was trying to find this thing, I was like, please God, when I find this, I, mean, I believe God, but you know, whatever, deities. Please, deities. <laughs> Some, someone. Please, someone, something. Um, when I find this box, like, Please let there be a damn key. Just just let it be resting in the ignition. You know what I mean? Because if this is not in there, I'm going to have to like hammer open something to deal with this. I already flipped off all the circuit breakers. None of them control this thing, right? And it's got a backup battery, so it's better. So uh, so luckily I popped this uh, final door open, see the box there, keys in the ignition. I'm like, yes, crank the thing open, rip it open. And then uh, you have to like basically, like un basically pull these wires out of like a big, it's essentially like an exposed <laughs> circuit board. <laughs> Yeah, I felt like I was in a heist all of a sudden. So I was like, you know, probably, and I pull one of them off and the alarm goes off again. And I'm like, one, this is now cool as shit because I'm like actively involved <laughs> and it feels like a heist. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh no, it's a ref frantically trying to get one of the other wires off. Uh, finally get that one off and the whole thing dies. And I was like, I'm at peace and I feel like I've completed a heist. <laughs> After like 45 minutes of it was an hour and a half. It was an hour and a half, half of, half like of trying to figure stuff out and doing all this stuff and then ever occasionally testing it by opening the door, setting the alarm off again. 
Uh, and it was just this hilarious, ridiculous <laughs> scene such that it carried me from a long day of work immediately into literally, uh, you know, an alarm system mm-hmm. heist that lasted up until basically it was time to shower just and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so well, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a productive evening in the sense that, you know, you had something to do and you got it done. I felt very you focused. Know? Yeah. And also I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot about home alarm systems. So if you, you know, need someone to come in and, you know, do a heist on your own house, you let mm-hmm. me know. Or just YouTube that video where the guys. Yeah, I'll probably be faster, looking. I bet. The funny thing is in the comments of that video is basically everyone in the same situation as I am where they're like, yeah, we've been in this house for like two years. So the alarm went off. <laughs> <laughs> hours later you know we can't figure out how to get the thing uh, shut down so it's a good time yeah in the age of working from home i imagine home invasions are much more fraught than they used to be for yeah. everybody yeah. involved yeah yeah for everybody yeah yeah, yeah. yep so I, I assume those numbers have gone down slightly yes uh, so yeah you know maybe maybe a horrible piercing alarm system isn't quite as necessary as it once was honestly though it was so loud that and once it finished its first wave, Diane and I were talking about it. We're like, honestly, yeah. Like, if I broke into a house and this thing was going off, I would get the fuck yeah, out. You'd, you'd like, hate <laughs> Yeah, so loud. Because, like, the neighbors are going to come. Either. Yeah. You know, no, like, I was, that's that's why so I was loud. I was like, I thought yeah. someone was going to call 911, like, on our behalf at some point. Because this thing is so loud. I'm sure it was just echoing through the neighborhood. Like, oh, yeah. Just insane. It's way just, worse than a car alarm going off. Oh, it's a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you got out of it. Did you like put did everybody put on some kind of noise canceling headphones or something to try to? Diana is like unbothered by noise somehow, so she was just chilling after like a minute. Yogi wasn't even the dog was just. I don't understand why he wasn't freaking out. He was vibing. <laughs> I was like, he's what like, is he's this? like, now everybody gets to feel what I feel all the time. <laughs> constant, yeah. constant. I put up my headphones basically <laughs> immediately because I was like, if I'm gonna have to deal with this for an hour, this is not gonna be. Yeah, I would have had earplugs okay. in instantly, just yeah. right away. Yeah. Uh, oh man, well I'm glad you lived through yeah. that. You yeah. know, harrowing uh, adventure. Yeah, it was it was quite the time, and uh, I forgave Wendy. I think Wendy finally forgave herself after <laughs> a day or so. Um, that's the real. That's the, that's real the key. Yeah, uh, it was very fun. Now, when you had to, when you're trying to unlock this box, were you kind of secretly hoping that you couldn't get it open so that you could bash it open? With <laughs> that like is kind of one of those because I was like, because <laughs> well, I didn't even know this box was down here, so I don't really care about it. You know, what I mean, like I, yeah, it's already destroyed in my mind. Yeah, so. It never even existed. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. It's like it just adds another level of epicness to this already ridiculous story. It's like the the AJR song, like 100 bad days make 100 good stories. You know, you're like, that's one of those. It could have been worse and it would have been even more incredible. I I thought that I got you a lockpick kit. I do have one, but I'm not good at it. (laughs) Well, I need to find it because once you moved, I'm sure it wasn't a high priority to figure out where to put this in. It's I the, played around with that lock pick kit for so long, and then I was like, and I got I got all the locks open in the kit, and I was yeah. like, fuck yeah! And then I was like, time to time to lock pick my own house. But it turns out that uh, the key, the locks in the lock pick kit were kind of beginner locks meant mm. to make you know, build up your confidence mm-hmm. because house locks, car locks, you know all that stuff. They got all kinds of janky things going on in there that you oh, know yeah. car locks you guys have seen do. house yeah, house look, locks often are just as easy as the kits yeah something my, my mine wasn't yeah, that's, that's for sure uh i don't know if you guys have seen the lock picking lawyer videos yeah, on youtube great. but i love that guy he can get into anything <laughs> in like in like eight seconds 
That's so good. It is uh, always spooky. I, if, you, if you've had, if you've got locked out of your house and someone comes to unlock it and they're really good because they just like, they just kneel down, sort of like kiss the door and then it opens and you're like, how are you allowed to be free? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, well, can you imagine illegal? <laughs> can you imagine what the world must look like to a locksmith? You know, like just if it's an open world video game, you could go in there and smash all the Zelda. Like they and know, the videos, you know what I mean? yeah, they know that they can just go anywhere that they want. <laughs> it's like time. having a level one hundred <laughs> lock picking in, in Fallout. Yep. You know, where yep. you're just like. Yep. I don't care about locked doors. That's not a, that's not, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a concept that I adhere to. It's a social construct. It's yeah, kind of you a know. beautiful, you know, maybe a gift to give yourself in some ways. Right. That sort of lock picking. Yeah. Just that the sense freedom of just to go anywhere. Able, yeah. <laughs> you can't contain me. It is. I mean, <laughs> it is pretty fun. Like the first time you, you open a lock and you know, it just like it pops, you know, you're like, Ooh, you know, it's just such a satisfying. Now try doing it with an alarm experience. going, man. Whew. It gets you yeah. going. Tell you what. Yeah, yeah, that's that's like that's like level five. I'm not I'm not even close to that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about some studio stuff, namely yeah. Crashlands two playthroughs. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, what, so this week we decided. Well, I guess last week we decided. All right, we're we're wrapping up our current kind of set of milestones. It's time to do another playthrough and see uh, if yeah, see <laughs> if the things that we did did the things that we thought they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had talked a little while back about. Um, the idea of, you know, doing a lot of iterative work on the first few hours of gameplay. Because, you know, if you have something super cool that happens in hour 10, but nothing really that cool or interesting happens before that, nobody's going yep. to see that cool thing. So there's just no point uh, working on expanding all the future stuff in the game if the initial set of things is is not good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the other kind of challenge you have uh, is... It's all about pacing and onboarding, where if you have a game that's fairly open, fairly complex, you know, has lots of like different interesting nuances and mechanics and stuff, you can't just hit the player with all of them at once mm-hmm. um, because people people are like a CPU where like they can take in one thing at a time, you know, and process it. And then once they're done processing that, they can get they can get the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you give them two things at once, the second thing just kind of doesn't exist. Like their brain just deletes it <laughs> from yeah. from their attention. Um, so, so the other thing that we that we're kind of fighting against is is something we've learned is that if you give somebody only one thing to do, they don't like that because mm-hmm. they're on rails and they feel like they're being constrained. Um, and that's when people complain about things being grindy or you know, boring or whatever, right? Yeah. So you may hear so you then, got, if you're listening to those two statements, a bit of a challenge, right? Because you need to give people- they don't match. Yeah. Give them a thing to do so that they don't get confused, lost, or use the wrong tool to solve the problem in the game and then be mad about it. But you also need to give them more than one thing to do so that- So that they feel like they are deciding yeah, yeah. what to or do. Or you give them really the, feel- not. <laughs> yeah, the feeling of having more than one thing to do, even if they don't actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we've made tons and tons of changes to the game since our prior playthroughs um, in terms of pacing and how we're teaching things. We've added lots of new um, features and ways for us to kind of highlight things early on to, you know, better instruct and all that stuff. And um, So what do you think, Sam? What was your takeaway? Yeah, well, I mean, I think so much of, of, the, of this work so far has been what I would call like, it's basically foundational insurance work. 
to make it possible for us to confidently build the rest of the game in two ways. One is the way you were talking about, which is, yeah, if you lose 80% of your users in the first 30 minutes, then why the fuck are you building the another 60 hours of content for two years, right? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but the other is actually even more foundational on the game design side, which is that we've been, Crashlands 2 has enough differences from the original that, that uh, it's been a big challenge wrapping up how all of the systems actually integrate. They actually, they all kind of interleave in a really interesting and complicated sort of a way that's taken a while to be able to figure out this, like how that actually works well, how to balance that combination of systems out from a play experience perspective, such that the player ends up having a better time than they would in the original uh, and certainly doesn't get like both either confused, overwhelmed or bored, right? Um, and so like most of the changes then on this pacing stuff were, were oriented around that, you know, not introducing stuff too soon, but also not too late. Like just say, and, and stuff can be apparently in this game, like eight different systems talking to each other. And so it's very, it was a lot to try to figure out how, how to do. And so um, what's nice about it, we had two of our uh, mods from our community who basically did the play test for us. And what's interesting about it is that the one, we didn't see any of the problems we saw the first two tests. Which is always a good sign, right? As far as progress, yeah, we took care of those. So <laughs> took care good. of all those. Um, but then, more importantly, it's like it's it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch a game that works. And what I mean by that is where you know, yeah, players are going to experience moments where they don't quite get what's going on, but they'll try something, uh, or they'll sort of be building a mental model of how stuff works, and then you violate it a little bit and see some surprise that they have. And it's very very fun uh, as a designer, especially the one who worked on it, to see that stuff kind of actually rendering out in a way where it, it is working. Um, so my takeaway from it is that the massive amount of design change between this and the first game uh, is now, I would say, kind of fully up and running in the sense that I think we kind of we managed to crack the nut on how to do all that interleaving of systems, um, including like just the bare bones of like the, the newness of all these systems put together, uh, but in a way that still, you know, retains that crash landsy goodness. Um and is I think a little bit more, it's a bit more, not just RPG in terms of like the characters are just better. I mean, Jenny has done a great job with the writing and stuff and the characters are actually, you know, interesting. You hang out with them for much longer. And so they are, you care about them, you know, um, there's a lot more personality and story yeah. in this, I would say. Yeah. And then a lot of the storytelling beats are just, they're much more reactive and stuff. And so there's a lot more of that laced throughout what is otherwise then a also more complex open world, uh, sort of crafting mechanic that we got in there with how, how everything works for progression. And so, yeah, I think I, I'm very happy with how it worked out. It was very odd though. Cause after immediately after the play test, I just was exhausted and went to bed. <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe it was the alarm the night before. I don't know, but like, <laughs> um, <be. laughs> I was just completely wiped out and I woke up in the morning and, um, and, and I'd even talked to my wife about it a little bit the night before, but the sense I had was one of relief, right? Which is that, I mean, Anybody who's listening to the podcast now for the, I don't know, 100 episodes or so that have been Crashlands 2 oriented um, knows that we've been really swinging for the fences on it in terms of uh, not just design changes and the ambition of the, the game scale and stuff like that, but also the tools and tech needed to make it all happen that are buttressing those design changes and stuff. And so in other words, a lot of the decisions that we made early on that, you know, you could have just made Crashlands again, right? But we didn't. But then the fact that we didn't means that there's cost and risk associated with having not just done the same thing again. And, you know, honestly, like this whole time, it's been, it has been a bit scary for me every so often being like, did we bark up the wrong tree? Do we have the actual skills to back this up? Are we just going to end up building tools until, you know, a few years go by, we're out of money. And, and then we just have, have to tools. capitalize on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I have had that fear for sure, because the amount of complex, the changes have been just a lot. 
And so, and keep in mind, we're still doing this very, very small team, very small. And so, yeah, I think I woke up on, uh, woke up on Thursday and was like, I think that's it. I think we not and like a, this is it, but like a, this is it. We did it. There it is. We fucking landed next to the thing that we've been trying to land next to for two damn years after all this ridiculous infrastructure work, restructuring how the studio works, hiring people, you know, adding people to the team. Um, we scaled up on the, we managed to scale up on the programming side, managed to scale up on the, the actual content team side, uh, got build machines running in the cloud to handle all this. I don't know. Just the whole thing's insane. And then finally you're just, it's like landing the Mars rover sort of a vibe for me, which is like, okay, it, you did. It landed. You know what I mean? It's on the surface of the planet now. And now we got the rest of the work to do. But yeah, it's now we have to build a new spaceship on Mars and then exactly, shoot that exactly. off and take it to, I don't know, where we want it to go. But yeah, somewhere. Somewhere. Um, yeah. Now Titans, that it's, I don't yeah, know. To me, it's the, it's the uh, you know, now we get to draw the rest of the owl. Yeah. Right? Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. We, we framed it out. It's, it's, it has, it has the right shape uh, yes. based on what we wanted to achieve and it's just a final systems dev uh, to like layer in some of the more interesting game systems that'll come kind of over time. Um, like we, we still don't have pets, you know, pets but it's like, farming. it's like pets are a thing that'll, you know, that kind of opens up after the initial batch of uh, stuff that the player is going to do, because, you know, if we're introducing how to play the game and all the different concepts and characters and whatever, then like I was saying earlier, C- CPU brain, right? We can't be like also pets, also fishing, <laughs> also farming, also blah, 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 right? Um, yeah. So, so uh, we'll be starting to work those in. Uh, over the course of you know this this first section of the game, but but this wasn't really the time to do that, right? But all yeah. the tools are there to allow for us to layer those systems in far more easily than than in the past. Yeah, so, so I think, and it's always weird. Uh, it is always weird watching, depending on the kind of game you're making, the immediate player response while playing it will be very different, right? So if you're making like a competitive game or something that's more uh, just really action heavy, right, or has those like big epic moments that are happening kind of repeatedly. Um, and you will occasionally get, like, actually during playtests, you might get people who are actually, you know, or like sort of exclaiming. Big, big reactions. Yeah, big yeah. reactions. Um, but if you've ever watched someone who's streaming like a Stardew Valley or whatever else, it's a very different thing. People are kind of just. People are pretty just contemplative and just, just kind of chill. They're having right. a great time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's also one of those things where you have to know, we always want to keep in mind the reaction that you're getting from people emotionally and sort of including the genre set that you're in to make sure you're not like, how come people aren't screaming for joy or like, you know, swearing a ton or whatever else. And it's like, it's not Super Meat Boy. It's not League of Legends. It's like a open world. It's kind of a chill open world RPG crafting game. Like, you know. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, for the most part, you know, throughout, throughout these playthroughs, you know, we got, um, we got the reactions that I was hoping for in a lot of the the places, you know, it's like, yep. But it's the it's the things like oh you know like that kind of thing <laughs> or like a chuckle when something funny happens you know where it's like okay like that's working. things are yeah people are like having those like aha moments and they're figuring things out and they're seeing funny things. But I guess otherwise it's the, um, it's actually the absence of negative emotional yes. states, right? Because like that's a big one <laughs> yeah, for, for for a game that's meant to be more sort of chill and like in this kind of vibe, right? Where, where the positive experiences are just like these like discoveries here and there, but, but things that mostly just stay internal. If someone starts getting bored, right? Like visibly yeah. bored or frustrated or whatever, like that's actually then the signal that you are looking for, right? Because you actually, as you're saying, you can't, 
you can't expect things over like baseline contentedness because the game's intention is to sort of put you into this content state. Yeah, with we don't want to we don't want to put you into a high stress like hyper excitable kind of a mode. It's Crashlands, you know, like. Mm-hmm. You should be kind of like having wholesome moments. You should be having a good time. You should be contemplating and mm-hmm. being pretty chill and zen. Um, and then having exciting moments here and there. Yeah, right? And sometimes right. you'd be like, oh shit, right? Yep. Yep. But like, that's kind of like, that's where like, you're just like barely dodged something or whatever uh, when you're like maybe fighting a couple creatures, but it's mm-hmm. not like, you shouldn't be like sweating, <laughs> you know, yep. just like throughout. So I, I feel like, I feel like it's getting close and um, yeah. And big, big thanks to our, our two, uh, our two testers. Um, and the other, the other kind of interesting thing that I want to point out is that is that we had originally planned on doing two play tests spread apart, where it'd be like one play test, and then it would take a, a few days to kind of address issues we saw mm-hmm. and then do the next play test. Um, and instead, we, we decided, let's just do them both back to back because then we get sort of a, you know, it's a sampling question. Yep. Yeah. If we get two people playing the game in the exact same state, um, then we get to see a a wider diversity of reactions to the kinds of things because everybody has a different pace and like people learn things in different ways and people are coming in with different, even different assumptions about what kind of a game this is or how it should work or whatever. Right. And so I'm really glad that we did it that way um, because we had such different um, sort of, we saw like such different approaches to Mm -hmm. How to a navigate lot the world, or how to how to think about things, or whatever. And in both cases, like it kind of allows us to see, like, okay, well, like this this person thought to do this in this way, and this other person uh, still recognized the problem, but then went about it in this way that we didn't expect, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not necessarily that there's like a fundamental problem with what it is that we're doing. It's just that we didn't account for you know this like alternative way of thinking about it, and now we can shore up that thing to to make sure that we catch that and get the person, you know, into a better place of understanding. Um, but if you just do one person and you see them like fumble something or get stuck on something or whatever, it's very easy to overblow that and think like, oh no, there's just a <laughs> fundamental problem wrong with the root of this thing. But then if the next person does not, like, oh yeah. And they just get it immediately. Right. Then like, okay, so maybe it is a, it is, maybe it's fine sort of as it works and we just need to do Make a better job of teaching or, it, right, you know, or, or whatever. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so um well, that's that so reminder. I definitely recommend that kind of approach, right? Yeah, yeah. well, it's that reminder yeah. that that any one player experience is not representative of player it's experience. It's totally unique. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all unique. And, even, and when we talk about things like when you're des- – because you're always designing for a particular like range of kinds of people, right? Because you can't make a game that is what everybody wants all of the time, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. Um, so you kind of have an idea of the kinds of experiences that you're trying to generate and like what that should do to the person and how they would go about responding to your cues and clues, right? Like you do things in the game to try to get the player to go do something specific or that falls within a a small subset of, of things. Um, but there's no, like, you can't really just create that there's no because there is no average experience like where people just like on average do what you designed right for yeah. and, and any yeah. one player is going to fall into certain things that are confusing to them or not notice this versus that or prefer some aspect of the game and therefore bias their actions towards that or whatever right so that you just end up with these very different experiences and you can't you can't assume that because one person did X, you know, that that means anything. That's just what people do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually giving a, a talk this weekend, which I will talk about in the next episode because I will, you know, I will have, have given, given it, it at that point. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that I had to think a lot about in kind of articulating in this, in this talk is, is the problem of information delivery. Because mm-hmm. like in a video game, you've, you've made up a whole new reality and a player coming into it has to learn the rules of this new world that they're inhabiting, including just basic stuff. Like how do I walk, you know, mm-hmm. like how do I talk to characters or, or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so as the player is sort of like learning those things, you, you as the designer have to uh, anticipate the player's relationship to information in such a way that you can deliver it when they want it. Because mm-hmm. when they're receptive uh, to it, yeah. Because the, the the problem is that is that your your brain doesn't really respect all information as equally important, right? Some of it just kind of bounces right off because you're like, I don't know if I can know about whatever, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this, it's, this it's isn't actually, relevant to me. It's right? the reason we uh, get to exist is the fact that the sheer volume of information available to our brains, our brains like their primary skill. Their is, job is to bounce things yeah, off. Yeah, is, is to know? pull the just like the information dense patterns out of that and throw everything else away. Yeah, and so so what your job then is as a game designer is to prime the player to be receptive to information by putting them into a situation where they recognize that they have a problem and that the information you're about to give them is the solution to that problem. Yeah, it's like right? every FPS right it starts with like there's some sequence where you have to duck under something. And yep. then jump over something else <laughs> yeah. and then like sprint yeah. jump over another thing, right? So yeah. that you just have to do it and they can deliver yeah. to you in those moments like here's the keys to press or whatever. Yeah, because there's two ways. One is they could just – like as soon as you build the game, they'd be like, here's the controls. <laughs> Big overlay, yeah. right? And then you just run around and then like – and then maybe you don't encounter anything that you have to crouch under until two hours in. And then at that point, you're like, what was that button again? Right? Or you don't even think about it. You're just like – I. I guess I I can't go there because you forgot, right? And so, yeah, so what they do is they don't like tell you all the controls and then just put you in the world. They put you, yeah, they put you through a sequence where you just can't progress until you push that crouch button. But they won't just do it once, you know, they'll do it like six or seven times throughout Mm -hmm. that opening Mm -hmm. sequence. And their job there is to just like make you receptive to when they tell you what the crouch button is that you're like, oh yeah, I, I wanted to I actually want that. I wanted yep. to know that. Thank you. <laughs> but also it's exposing uh, you to the patterns of what it means to need to use it. Right. So it's not just a crouch. Right? Exactly. It's, it's you've now confronted various kinds of obstacles that reflect the kinds of things you're going to see in game that were crouching is the right move. Right. So that it just reinforces the, the in-game world problem and also the solution at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So a big, a big part of what we're trying to do then with this early stuff is essentially um, recognizing the places where we are failing to convey to the player what the problem is. Yeah. Um, because then, of course, we can't tell them how to solve it if they're like, this isn't a thing that I even care about. And like one of the things <laughs> that happened with both of the playthroughs and it, it happened in earlier playthroughs as well, we just haven't addressed it, the problem of health of yeah. healing, which is that um, we have a health bar, just like in the original game, we have a little health bar in the top left corner that shows how much health you have. Um, and if you if you die or, you know, whatever, you you respawn with, with one HP, then of course, like the next thing that you do that injures you is going to just kill you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and in both playthroughs, both of our testers spent well over an hour at one HP and never consumed a healing item even though we had a uh, text out in the world that they walked past uh, several dozen times, actually, it <laughs> literally says like, be sure to eat a healing item 
uh, if your health is low, blah, blah, blah. And, and then like there's healing items on the ground next to it. So like as you walk past them, they like suck up and they go onto your hot bar and blah, blah, blah. But nobody ever pushed the button. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in because both they cases- they didn't feel uh, like they needed to heal basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because the, and, and there's like two problems, right? One is that is that they weren't fighting things enough that they were really thinking about injuries as like a thing, right? So they weren't really primed in that way. Um, in addition, once your health, once you die the first time, your health bar is essentially empty. And so it's it almost becomes like an invisible rectangle. Yep. It's not a it's not a visible progress bar with like a color in it anymore. It's just kind of a nothing in the corner. And also the corner of the screen is where like nobody ever looks, right? And then the final thing is, is there's nothing... Um, that feels different in the game when you're on the verge of death versus when you're fully healthy. You're, it's not like your character is like hobbling around, bleeding on things or whatever. Yeah, right? And, and OG like, Crashlands, we just like have the screen gets constrained. There's an overlay and like it gets it kind of, I think we do we gray it out a bit too. We Can do we like a desaturate? desaturate and we kind of like pull up the reds and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And so it's, it's basically like, we don't have that in Crashlands 2, but now, you know, after watching playthroughs, we're like, okay, yeah, clearly we need we need one of those, like, uh, ed- edge of screen, low health, oh my god, things are bad kind of effects that kind of, like, pulses in because that draws your attention to the fact that, like, something is wrong. Well, right? It's also telling uh, about those experiences, though, too, is that both people, both people end up not using a healing item for, like, an hour or so. Once they realized that they were low health, both of them immediately used a healing They item. just started using it, yeah. yeah. It's been on the bar the whole time. They've seen the text a billion times, haven't touched it. It's like, and you're as the designer, you're sitting there, you're like, is that getting through? Like, do they understand that there's a healing item? And then once they say, again, this is the whole idea of provide the problem first, allow people to identify that it is a problem, because sometimes it's not quite clear. And then they'll, they'll then solve the solution. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's basically our, so yeah, so it's, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's easy to look at this and be like, why won't these players figure this out? It's like, no, this is a design failure through and through, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like we hadn't done enough to make it apparent that, hey, you're about, you're, you're very close to death. If it, right, if anything goes wrong, you're in trouble. Um, and because we hadn't done that design work to convey it, then they were not looking for a solution to this problem because there is no problem as far as they're concerned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the kinds of things that, that, um, you know, come out of these play tests that are just really interesting to see where like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's another, there's another interpretation of these too, right? Which is just that at this point in the game's content and design, just health doesn't matter. Like even if you do see it, right. And, and so that it might be that, uh, you know, in the, in the general case, not even specifically about crashings, but like something like that, right. Where, where it seems like obvious that health is important to a game where you fight things, right. If it turns out when you play test it that like players don't even notice their health, they don't even notice that that's a thing, then it, it begs a question just like, oh, like, then what is that doing? Like, what is that doing for the game's design, actually? Is this something that just matters later? And so, like, yeah. we'll basically do So we just thing. haven't gotten to it. Yep. Yeah. Or is it something that actually, something about how the game actually exists experientially makes it so that that whole concept is like not the right one, right? We need to like mm-hmm. rethink that concept. And, that, and that's the kind of fun yeah. stuff you get to actually see out of, especially with something as complicated as a video. Cause like Sam said, they're always saying like, we're building an entire fake universe, right? So like there's so much going on and the more like interesting and open worldy and whatever interactive everything is, the less you can guess about the consequences of how all of your design decisions come together. I think it's also where having a, having an idea of the, we're talking a lot about the emotional target, what you're trying to hit, right? How the player is supposed to feel in this world that you're making, whatever else. Being very clear and having that very well communicated across the board as you head into these play tests with the game that is not complete is super important because on the one hand, you could say like, oh yeah, the, like clearly players don't care about their health. 
I guess, you know, maybe this is you know, after the first hour or so, maybe this is like a not, not important concept or we should change the nature of the game. But that is to say, like, basically say that the initialization of the game is not around combat. Combat's a thing that opens up a little bit in and is supposed to change how the player relates to the world because we want it to sort of be this layering on layering of ways in which you're adventuring, right? Um, and if you don't have that clear thing in mind ahead of time, then you do also get hit by this sort of uh, basically the randomness of play tests in terms yeah. of like what players stick onto, what they don't really pay attention to. And then all these questions pop up about like, is that actually important for a thing you haven't even paid any attention to? Really, Because yeah, you, right? you have to still pay attention to the context, right? And so yes. it's like in the context yeah. of the first two hours or whatever, um, it may be, very well be true that like, okay, health is just a pointless concept. Kind of whatever. Right? Yeah. Um, but you still, you can't just say that that means it is pointless, right? You have to think through the broader yeah. context. I think it's, so it's like, it's the same as any data collection, right? When it comes to play testing, it's like, Get a survey of data, so not just one play tester, right? And then when you're interpreting the results, take into account the entire context of the results. The context, right? yeah. yeah. And don't, and don't yeah. push further than the bounds of the context in which you got the data. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Now, something big has happened that mm. I will talk about Yeah. Uh, to kind of round out the episode, which is – so, we, you know, we've been talking a lot about AI – on this podcast. The AI uh, wars. Yeah. And big part because uh, I think we're all agreed that what is happening this year in AI, I think, is sort of – it's it's a defining moment mm-hmm. in tech in terms of, of like all this new uh, stuff with like mid-journey and, and chat GPT and all these AI tools. Um, they're entering the mainstream consciousness as like, oh – uh, the tools that I use to do things should actually behave like a person and just let me talk to them and they'll just do stuff like, like a person would, but way, way, way faster and with more accuracy and a much broader knowledge set and blah, blah, blah. A lot of the tools are not, you know, at that level, but people are starting to see just how close they're getting. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so this, so a few weeks ago, Microsoft I think it was two and a half weeks ago, Microsoft announced their $10 billion investment in OpenAI, which is the creators of ChatGPT, um, in exchange for a 49% stake. So they don't have a controlling share, but, but they have all the rest of it. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> yeah. So they're invested um, in, in the success of this platform. Um, but importantly, I think part of that, of that uh, purchase was so that they could get access – uh, frontline access to all of these, uh, all these beta tools that OpenAI is working on. And this past week, Microsoft announced the new Bing. For those of who don't know, Bing is Microsoft's search engine. <laughs> you can be from Bing to know that. Yep. <laughs> and I have to explain that because uh, Bing has had a rocky history of just kind of not being used. It's not necessarily that it's bad. It's just that it's just it's just not necessarily use? any better than Google. Yeah, it doesn't have a value same. proposition to push you out of the Google search. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people use Chrome, and Chrome defaults to using Google's search engine. And, you know, people's habit is, yeah, I'll just type stuff in the address bar, and that will turn into a Google search. And, you know, so basically Google has kind of, over time, just kind of not locked people into their ecosystem, but kind of coaxed people mm-hmm. into a comfortable space using just Google's search and Chrome, et cetera. So Microsoft buys this, this share of, of OpenAI, and Microsoft is like, we're going we're gonna to fuse this new chat GPT stuff 
into Bing so that so that basically you would have sort of like a personal assistant that will use the stuff that normally you would be searching for on Bing and and integrate it. So if you said like, oh man, I really want to like plan a I want to plan a trip to, you know, uh, France next September. But now now I, now that I've made that decision, oh there's so much work to do. So and many all pieces. of it mm-hmm. involves googling. Right. Involves going online and searching for like plane ticket as a binging. Yeah. (laughs) I got to get plane tickets. I got to come up with an itinerary. I got to, I got to find hotels. I got to figure out which cities I should go to and what activities there are and plan it out day by day. Got to make sure your passport's up to date. Yeah. And the list just, the list just goes on and on and on. Right. Um, And so much of what makes that complicated and, and time consuming is that you're just, you yourself are responsible for compiling all this information, going to all these sites, putting it together, verifying everything. Yeah. Right. Well, I even think about things like, so I need to get my driver's license replaced because it's expiring in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was like Googling how to do, like, I was like, okay, what do I yeah. need to do it? Right. I have to like go through like, like five layers deep of some government website that I'm not hundred percent sure is a government website, you know, to like find <laughs> yeah. a list of things, but it's like under these conditions, you need these or these ones, you need these ones, you know, like, and it's like, the, it just keeps on going. Yep. And then I have a simple question, just like, how early can I get it relative to when it expires? Right. And I just like, can't find an answer. I just can't, I know it's, it's out there somewhere. Right. But I just can't get to it. Via a search engine. So yeah. if something was able to like know what I actually I'm trying to get, right? And then answer the just damn question. The question. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to dig yeah. more this, websites for an hour. Yeah. And this is the thing that Microsoft, I think, sees, which is like search um, was was revolutionary for its time because of course in the before before we could search for things on the internet, you had, you had kind of two options. If you didn't know something. Your option was go to the library and kind of mm-hmm. spend an afternoon s- sorting through books, trying to figure out it's whether the they have a book search. on the thing. And, you know, and option two is just keep not knowing it. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, there was also call. a third option, which was just to make a claim that was too hard for anybody else to verify. You just know. make shit up. Yeah. Yeah. So, or and, you and of course, the, if you call the DMV, probably that would do it too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That could case, call yeah. People. If it was something that call, was call people. Answer, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. And so, so now, you know, search basically kept all these things manual, um, right? We're like, you you still have to go like cert, like go, instead of going to the library and sorting through books, right? Now you're typing in a search and then you're just scrolling through all these different sites. Some of them are bullshit. Some of them are sponsored. Google also has their own like little compiled section where they're like, here's, we like we've taken some snippets of some stuff and like maybe that's useful. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Um, and, but it's still up to you to kind of just keep like sifting through all these different things. Right. Um, but then what, what Bing is working on is they're like, we're going to sift. We've got a sifter. We've got something that's going to look through all these sites for you and compile stuff. And because it's based off of ChatGPT, it's something that you can actually talk to. Right. So if it's like, oh, here's an itinerary for blah. And you could be like, uh, I really actually, like I kind of want to. Yeah, let's do some more beach stuff. And like, I kind of want to take like the second day off, just like, like a spa or something like that. Right. Um, and then, you know, it'll just do that. It'll just be like, yeah, here's the spa to go to that's close to your location. Uh, and then you can be like, mm, that spa's too expensive. Uh, find me another one. Right. And be like, what about this one? Right. And like, it'll just do that stuff. And it's just going to, it, it opens up. Uh, access to all this information otherwise was just very labor intensive to kind of 
peruse, right? Well, I think about it like, you know, we talk a lot about the problems we've had in, uh, say, said, like making the game of Crashlands 2. A lot of the problems are integration problems. When we were that is taking the different pieces of work or different pieces of information related to a thing and then getting them all properly lined up and put in the correct bucket so that you can actually have the thing at the end of the day. Whether that's a creature in a video game needs, how does it move? How does it look? How do the animations work? Etc. Or if it's saying, hey, I want to plan a trip to France in this case. Um, there's a bajillion sort of facts about that that you have to integrate together, right? And so search allows you to basically solve the first part of the problem, which is saying, where is even the, how do I even think about this? Where is the information related to flights, to which beach to go to, to whatever. But it doesn't, it still relies completely on you to integrate all the information yourself. Right? You have to know what questions to even ask up front. Yes. Uh, and it's only going to tell you exactly what you search for. Yeah. It's not going to be so, like, mm, here's some stuff you didn't think about, right? Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting about this then is I think, because, you know, Microsoft got kind of booted out of the mobile war, you know, back yeah, in Yeah, Windows Phone didn't go Windows well. Phone died. You know, I had a friend mm -hmm. who was very into it. Um, he might actually, he might, he might still be a developer over there. We got one. We got a we got a Windows Phone dev kit back when we were. They were cool. Like, they were very fun. Rampage, um, yeah. but it just didn't. You know, they they were too slow on the up, uptake there. And then you know, no one's been able to challenge Google's search stuff. I mean, Microsoft of all people, who has you know, the biggest war chest, just sort of in the world, couldn't do anything with Bing because it wasn't actually it wasn't meaningfully different. It wasn't providing additional value. And so, yeah. what's fascinating about this to me is like clearly, yeah, Microsoft seeing the opportunity and saying, oh, there's a there's basically a different way to look at the search problem, which is not as, as not just as a search problem, but as an actual integrated answers problem for you and your context. I would say it's they're converting search into like research, right? Mm -hmm. Where like now it's you can you can ask you can ask a fairly open question that even has like layered sort of intent and nuance to it, and it'll figure it out. Yeah, like it's it's crazy. It needs a new approach. Uh, but but I think the other thing that's also true is like it's not just a new approach in like how to search but it's, it has to be a new a new business goal right yes because if because historically like the idea of the, for a search engine was just well people won't pay for things on the internet so you can't just like sell access to the search engine so that was like very early thrown out the window as, as a path right mm -hmm. and so then the next one is well we also like actually like in the earlier days in the, like the yahoo days you would actually pay to have your website on the top of like yahoo's mm -hmm. lists and stuff mm -hmm. right so like that's so that was part of how they made money and in that model of just like oh you just pay to have your stuff shown to people right is basically what we settled on because it's the one where the person who has the biggest interest in showing up at the top is then forking over cash right mm -hmm. but the the you end up with this very weird incentive in terms of the design for the person making the search engine in that scenario which is yes they need to have the search results be relevant enough that people continue using the search engine, right? So they can't give you too many results, and those results need to be like what you were looking for, Pretty right? Good. Yeah. But also, if they get you right where you were, want to go, then they can't divert your attention to ads and get you to go yeah. generate ad revenue for them, right? So they have to find some kind of a balance where they can't actually give you exactly what you want. They just have to get close enough that they can keep selling ads, right? And so with a model where you actually synthesize the information, that's basically you saying like, okay, well, we're not going to send you to websites anymore. We're not actually going to force you to rove your eyes over a screen that's covered in ads, right? There's going to be a spot you can look that just summarizes this info, right? And what that means is that using that as a mechanism to like sell ads, right? It's a little weird. 
goes way down because you're not relying on people's eyes just like well, well it, it has has several knock-on problems because mm-hmm. there's there's that but there's also the problem of web traffic if you are one of yeah. these travel let's say you're a travel site and you've got a, a, several posts about like stuff to do in France right back from our example well mm-hmm. in the past somebody would literally go to your site and read that stuff and it'd be like hmm nice and yeah. then they would or, put that into their itinerary or famously right? a recipe yeah, a recipe that always starts off with "This started back in the yeah, Cold War baby. when my grandparents <laughs> yeah, because they're lost selling, his toe." Yeah, they're selling ads, right? That's that's what all that stuff is. There yeah. For. So what yeah. does it mean when people don't go into your website ever again? What, what does yeah, it mean? It means it means weirdly, uh, it's hard to figure out what who would even be advertising on a search engine if people don't go to websites anymore yeah. anyways right mm-hmm. and then also who would be making websites if they literally can't make money off of the websites right mm-hmm. uh, so the problem is like this you know integrating chat integrating a chat gpt into a search engine is such an incredible uh like tool for the user of the search engine potentially anyway, we have to see how it shakes out yeah the, the potential is, is crazy. Yeah. But on the flip side, it I don't understand the economics of the people for who anybody make, else. Yeah. <laughs> the economics of the people who make the content. But I think we've been Just, seeing this uh, over and over and over again, right? Because like if you go back to the early days of the internet, it was that was with like the 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 very uh, naive is the wrong word because it's, it's a more positive thing, right? But, but people who were just like, oh, yes, like information can be free now, right? So it's like if you That's want, thing, yeah. if you want to share this thing that you know, I mean, it was it was originally for like researchers and stuff, right? It's like if you want to share what you know, you can just put it up there, right? And I, and I remember like in the earlier days, that's what it felt like. It felt like the internet was full of like all the information about the world, right? And then, and it wasn't originally, like the idea, it wasn't developed to make money. That wasn't the purpose of the internet, right? It was to make ex- information exchange easier. But then, of course, like, you know, capitalism, right? Everyone's trying to make money happen somehow, oh, yeah. trying to pull it out of some system, right? And so then you see people, if you're trying to figure out, like, how do we monetize this, right? Because it's a public good. It's a, it's like it's like trying to monetize the road, right? It's like, how do we turn this thing into money for ourselves, right? And so, because, yeah, it costs something to make content. But, it, but again, like, that's not why the internet's there. So people came up with, they just basically invented their own problem, which was, oh, hey, this cool thing exists, uh, so like money could be made there somehow, I guess. Right. So like they just invented a problem that didn't even exist, which was, it's really That's hard actually- to make money on a free platform of exchange. Right. And so the only way to do it on a platform designed for just exchange, right. Is to advertise is to put things in front of people. That's the only way to do it. Right. And that has never been very successful because mm-hmm. like the advertising revenue is always dropping. Year over year, right? Well, it's, like, it's a volume. It's game a volume always competing problem. for attention. You know, which is yeah. why, like, now if you ever go to any website on your phone, oh my god, dude, you get like so... you get a sentence, yeah. and then you scroll past so like counter... several full screen ads. Because yeah. like, <laughs> the thing is, it's like because advertisements like in your face are so counter to a good user experience, right? That this push and pull between being able to make money via a bad user experience that you generate. And creating a user experience outside of the ads worth suffering through the ads for, right? Like that war has been what the internet has been about since. Well, let me ask you this. I was going to say that what you probably see though, because the reality is like if you can do this sort of thing with ChatGPT4 with sort of basically linking of the art, the actual uh, websites used to generate the kind of say this itinerary to France idea. Um, it's not the case that they wouldn't be able to figure out how to do some kind of like sponsored. It's like an Instagram post at that point, right? The AI is essentially providing a, a sponsored link to something else or like, oh, also 
you know, like there might be a little ad <laughs> slug or something. And then it's like, you may also want to check out this spa. And it's like rated five. Yeah, there's a new, right, there's a new opportunity the- for that. And honestly, like if that's how advertising worked, which is I had a real problem that I expressed. And then an advertisement was like, hey, we have a solution to that problem. That's supposed to be, that's you supposed know? to be, that's like the the whole idea of of like marketing being a force for good or advertising a force for good. It's like actually identifying someone with a problem who doesn't know that there is a solution, mm-hmm. you know, or that a particular solution exists that they could just easily, like there is supposed to be a good amount of like good in that. Yeah, but the reality exchange. of how advertising works is that since it has to be to some extent untargeted, right, then that could never be true yeah. unless you, unless it's a just in time delivery of that information. Like when you're looking for that info, that's when you get it. Right. So my question is, when is the sponsored piece of this being search going to show up in terms of like just this sort of oh, I think very of soon. Ads. Yeah. yeah. So I was like two things. One is one is that the new Bing uh, with ChatGPT, they have footnotes basically where like it'll say, yeah, try checking out like this this spa or whatever. And there'll be a little like number next to it and you can mouse over it and see like the link to the site that it's talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so then like at the bottom of its response, you actually get a list of websites that it used to compile the, the thing. Right. So my assumption is that they'll just basically add some kind of like a different color or different way of indicating like this is a sponsored recommendation in, in this itinerary or whatever. And then you could potentially say like, Oh no. Yeah. Yeah, but that's also sponsored things. Or, it's know, a, it's a, again, it's like a, such a hard game to play, right? Because because when you because like when you just show almost contextless advertisements, like even on a search engine where like they have some relationship to the thing that you search mm-hmm. for, right? But it's just an ad, like it's just an ad, and it's like, hey, this you know that there's Stay like exists. a decoupled relationship, right? The moment you start getting like a, a synopsis, you know, a, a tight summary of like an actual answer to the thing that you're trying to do, right? And it includes that entity that built it having to decide, do I do I replace this part of the answer with this sponsored variant of it, right? That means that it has to understand that those truly are like drop-in replacements and like fun then go out and find the things that can be plopped in there, right? And also has to maintain a high enough amount of confidence in the user that they'll actually grow to trust this. Cause if they don't trust the system, they won't, they just won't use those links. That's just all, that's what'll happen. Right. And so, so you still can, even like, even though like this provides a new vessel for like advertising, that could be very cool for all parties. Right. Uh, It's a way more difficult one to to pull off. Right. Cause Google already can barely handle it. There's articles out every week about how some new malware website managed to get all the way to the top of the Google ads, right, before Google realized what it was and pulled it. And they're, and they're getting better and better at that, actually. Um, and so so all of those things bring down trust in that system so fast. And I think, I think as soon as you're looking at a summary that claims to be factually correct – like the moment you find a reason not to trust yeah, it, it has to be. It yeah, actually it has, has to be. Correct. And so, like, so yeah. that, <laughs> that I think that challenge because that's that's the challenge we live in in the world today, which is like almost everything you see is bullshit, either like to an extreme degree or at least a little bit, right? Almost everything because every incentive is aligned for bullshit generation, right, across every dimension. So that's already the world we live in, and trying to figure out how to pull out like the useful stuff out of that is like that's the problem of the day. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's also like and, and that's, like, AI is so interesting because it's poised in that position of it's both the cause of this, but also the possible solution to it. Right. 
Um, but the thing that still makes it really challenging is still that same thing, which is how do you tell the bullshit from the non-bullshit? And I, I, that's the thing I'm really the most curious about with this, like being integration, right? Mm. Is that chat GPT has not solved this problem. And does, there's no way for it to solve this problem, right? Yeah. And so is being going to be doing something on top of that, you know, to like, are they going to somehow curate things in a, in a way that verifies yeah and like what is that yeah because if you think about like what google has done with and maybe being still the same thing i don't know but like what google has done with google search page is that if you search for certain kinds of things it spawns up these kinds of custom like Mm -hmm. widgets but it's for certain categories that are really well defined right so it's like if you ask questions that seem to implicate local businesses google maps pops up and it shows you on the map where the businesses are right if you're looking at flights, a little flight widget pops up and it's like, am I delayed? You know, right. So it has these useful features, but they're very curated and very uh, small, right? And like in just how much surface area they have. And that's well, they're all, they're that's all kind of bespoke. Like they're, they're made to answer a very specific question. Yeah, for kinds like of problems. Right. Yeah, they have like a breakdown of sports scores for a specific game yeah. or yeah, like you said, flight information. But that allows but them no to generate stuff solution. accurately. Yeah. And so that's what I wonder with yeah. like with like a chat GPT integration or something, right? Because like a lot of what people are selling with AI is actually just like some more off the shelf thing like chat GPT or something, right? And what they're selling is like a particular route into it, right? So like a lot of AI services actually just have like a prefix question that's going to get fed into GPT, right? Yeah. And oh, then yeah. they they have you provide it. Like as far as you can tell, like they're just doing their own fault magic. But really, what they've done yeah, is just can, tailored your request to the GPT, right? Yeah. You can see this. There's a there's a website called Brancher.ai where you can basically do that, and you can see you as soon as you use it a little bit, you'll understand like how a lot of these quote unquote like AI services are actually working, which is that they're typically just prepending. They're basically creating a prompt that then sort of wraps into almost like a form answer that you give mm-hmm. um, in a way that then allows them to generate what appears to be like a very custom response. Like I made a, I made just like a really dumb Pokedex generator where you feed it an animal and a, and a type, and then it generates like a Pokedex, a new Pokemon Pokedex thing for it. Right. Um, and even going through that, like you could basically, all it does is it sends stuff off to ChatGPT in a particular format and then gets that, that information back. Um, it's a, it's really easy to understand then like how these are actually working and why we're, it's almost like the pipes, right? Where like the internet protocol stuff, was like the initialization of being able to do frankly all the stuff on the internet, right? Like just being able to swap information and everything else. That by itself is already, it's kind of magical, but like it doesn't in particular leverage, like it's just sort of the infrastructure underneath then what becomes this next layer of sort of magic on top. And I think something like ChatGPT, that's essentially what that is. When it's weird that players could, people could, just regular people can interact with it raw which is just so odd i think from a technology perspective usually those infrastructural things are not in any way like a thing that a public person rando could just go poke you know without yeah. any training um but this is one of those ones that like everyone could kind of get their hands on it in a way that is very odd and then i think look at that branch today i think lets you see how like adam said a lot of these new tools are just they're just leveraging chat gpt right completely they're not really they don't have their own ai models or anything like that going on it's well, and there's just, also but they're they're like aspect of that. There's there's no such thing as just like a fully generalized AI, right? That because like because even ChatGPT, it's designed to be a an entity you have a conversation with, right? That's its design structure, and like because it's 
it's a more general underlying system than that, then you can like make that conversation be basically you making a demand for it to create something, right? Right. And then that's what it spits out. But it's still designed to be this like a chat-based kind of an interaction. It's and, a language model. Yeah. And so if you take – so like the idea of like, oh, let's just like plug this into search, right, just doesn't make sense because it's like one general thing focused on chat and then just saying like, okay, now people do a search and they get a bunch of search results. Like, so let's just – let's just like plug this in and now like we have this really great tool that summarizes things right mm-hmm. so because like to get something like this itinerary generator right you would have to have a uh an additional layer of a model that like can generate itineraries right and presumably that is able to differentiate between like kinds of information so that it mm-hmm. can be more of a templatey kind of a behavior to at least to an extent right so that but that's where you get these services basically built on yeah. top so like yeah, so, so it's being going to be this basically it's like where they're yeah over time kind of like what google did right they just keep on adding these like mm-hmm. somewhat tailored experiences where when you put a search and they try to detect which kind of an experience that imp- implies yep. right and but they get to use then the power of of taking human hands off of it then and letting something that can process shit really fast right go convert all of that stuff into mm-hmm. into better summarized content. Um, yeah, that's fast. Yeah. yeah, like what is it going to look like? And I mean, it's we're not even halfway through February, right? And like Chat GPT first popped up in like the end of November. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a hundred million users in two months, ten billion dollar uh, purchase by Microsoft. Two and a half weeks later, it's integrated into Bing, right? And then like uh, the last thing that Microsoft is doing which I'll just hit on real quick, is they're making, there's a wait list to use this feature, to use a ChatGPT Bing integration. And to jump up the wait list, you need a Microsoft account, you need to install the Bing app on your smartphone, and you need to have Bing be your default search engine in your browser, right? So they're basically like, if you want to use this thing, you got to slip into our ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Very smart. And and I got to wonder, like, because I've been re- reading all kinds of articles this week about Google essentially just shitting their pants about, <laughs> about, about how fast this is moving and yeah. that they just were not prepared because they've been doing all kinds of AI work, but they, I don't think they, I think they're being overly cautious about it to the point where they're like, we're just not going to push on this, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, OpenAI comes out. And they're like, we're not being cautious. <laughs> we're <laughs> yep, just, so just going to fucking do it. Uh, and now uh, things are just happening very quickly. Um, and I think it's like it's going to be such a volatile situation over the next couple of months of, of what shakes out of this because it's, yeah. it's moving. It's moving very fast. Thrilling. Um, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. And again, uh, we don't know when Sam is going to be missing in the near future. Anytime. Uh, anytime. Uh, so definitely. And, you know, we've been kind of going light on uh, on questions these past several episodes, we're kind of letting the questions pile up so that we have, you know, some stuff to just kind of bloviate about while Sam is gone. <laughs> so, so definitely, uh, ask some questions over at podcast.bscotch.net so we can kind of get that stockpile up for, for those episodes. Um, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DeCoster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.